Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Decrypting Crypto podcast. I'm Austin Knight, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Howells Barbie. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we've had just like the peak of the British heat wave pass. We're now into <laughs> what I would call classic uh, UK weather of mildness and rain, which is very much welcomed. Uh, uh, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. <laughs> it's everything you moved for. <laughs> oh, it is. It truly, truly is. This is the nostalgia that I craved when I was sitting in a pool in the US enjoying consistent sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if global warming has its way, you'll get that again, <laughs> again soon. <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to talk to somebody really cool. Uh, you had the chance to speak with Rocky Miller. She is the CEO of Bitsian. Uh, but, but what's really interesting is that while now she's in the crypto space, she previously spent time at some of the larger, uh, more controversial entities uh, <laughs> like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, the incumbents, if you will. Um, so she has quite, <laughs> she has, she's, she's got quite the interesting background, right? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to, uh, to poke fun at the, the original financial services sector, but in all honesty, and this is kind of what I learned when I spoke to Rocky, it, when you, when you kind of look back through the early days of uh, blockchain and some of the initial investment that went in, even those speculative bets, even the 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 names that are in there, the big banks, the big investment arms that were critical of the likes of Bitcoin and stuff, they were at the same time investing in the space and have always yeah, been close yeah. to it. Yeah, we we see a lot. We've we've spoke to multiple people that have come from the traditional banking industry and are now running uh, big blockchain projects. Are all of a sudden very pro decentralization and uh, in, in fairness um raki was great to speak to i think she she's an incredible leader within the uh within the blockchain space and has the depth of knowledge of both sides of the coin which is super interesting no pun intended on the coin uh <laughs> and <laughs> and also sticking in theme with uh the general crypto space she named her company uh, in a way that makes it incredibly difficult to pronounce, which is uh, yes, <laughs> which is always a challenge for me in Austin as we go and speak to speak to these individuals, and basically cock up saying their their company name correctly. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, I think it's a rite of passage. Oh, it definitely is. If it's not tough to pronounce, I'm pretty sure that it's producing a shit coin. That I think that <laughs> must be the way that it's going right. Uh, but it's uh no it was great chatting to rocky um <clears throat> i think everyone's gonna love this this episode it's uh a somewhat refreshing take uh on looking at how to go and carve out and build a business within the blockchain space but also really solving um a common problem with a pretty simple solution that's that's incredibly valuable 
um i have to admit when i first kind of uh spoke with raki and i was looking into bits here and i was kind of like mm, uh, is this actually even that interesting exciting but the the whole project it's ultimately and you know, we, we dig into this into the interview um it's an aggregator of different exchanges uh similar to how you would have like a insurance comparison site or like anywhere where you have like credit card comparison sites that get you the best price um it it's all focused around i mean a thread that we talked about a lot last series actually like building out really good user experience something that has been missing for a long time in in this space i think one line i remember us talking about is like uh a lot of the blockchain projects were built by developers for developers and not necessarily for the end user one of the things right. why yeah. I think coinbase does so well and had done at the early start uh, early stages of this space exploding but we talk a little bit about that i address and kind of pose the question uh around Raki actually spending most of our time in the traditional financial services sector talk a little bit about jp morgan announcing their jpm coin and uh she gives her unfiltered take on that we of course ask her about libra we could not ask her about libra <laughs> we will not stop asking people about libra i'm basically at the point now where i just walk up to strangers in the street and ask them about <laughs> libra <laughs> uh so yeah uh peep strangers hate me my wife is fed up with me my my dog <laughs> hates me my dog has not formulated a view yet on libra but i think he's against it so we'll see how that <laughs> develops we'll, we'll bring we'll bring him onto the show um and then finally we talk a little bit about the the, the biggest adoption barriers that Reki sees of of ultimately bringing crypto to the masses and she has a great lens to look through um with all of that. Excellent. So with that said, let's dive right into the interview with Rocky Miller. I'm here with Rocky Miller, the CEO of Bitsian, who has been kind enough to agree to speak to, uh, to speak to us on the podcast. And Rocky, I wanted to get started here by just getting a bit of an explanation briefly of what Bitsian does. It seems from my side that it's somewhat of a kind of crypto exchange aggregator, and you also have portfolio management and tax services on there as well. Maybe you could just explain what Bitsian is and what it means to, to our audience. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Really happy to be here. Um, so what Bitsian does is, uh, you're correct, it is a exchange aggregator. Uh, our goal is to aggregate liquidity from various sources. At this point, we're connected to exchanges. We are talking to uh, OTC dealers, even DEXs. Uh, our interest mm. is in aggregating liquidity and basically presenting to our customers a means of price discovery. So, you know, crypto has brought with it this unique problem of, of uh, fractured liquidity and uh, price discrepancies across markets, across regions, across, uh, you know, nations. And uh, what we wanted to solve is this price discovery problem. 
Got it. And would I be would I be correct in assuming here that when you talk about this like fractured liquidity, what we're referring to primarily is some of these smaller exchanges that don't have as much liquidity in them. You're solving parts of of that problem in particular. Yes. Yeah, so I think uh, it's uh, for for exchanges that have you know a lot of innate liquidity, you know, a lot of uh, market participants. Those exchanges um, still have price discrepancies, right? You'll have uh, mm. even in instances, you know. The price of Bitcoin or the price of Ether amongst those exchanges will be different for certain periods of time. So that's that's one of the problems. Then the second one, as you're alluding to, uh, for the lesser, uh, I guess, uh, active exchanges, they benefit from our platform because now their liquidity is pooled along with everybody. And so in the instances that they are able to offer certain uh, certain prices that are better in perhaps some more lightly traded altcoins, uh, they now get the benefit of uh, of of uh, being included and uh, and and customers can can you know um, see across this entire pool. Um, so visually, I think uh, there's few a few things we've done on our platform, uh, which I think uh, our, our users have really really liked, uh, and uh, that is you know we, you can see with kind of a, a quick view like a fully consolidated order book. So if you select like Litecoin Dollar or uh, or any pair, essentially you will see the entire order book across the markets and then when you when you try to uh, purchase or sell uh, any of the trading pairs you can see the price uh, that you will pay in every market so think of like mm. Hayek or any any yep. kind of uh, you know Expedia any of these uh, travel uh, websites you you want to go from London to New York you uh, basically put it in and they they tell you uh, which airlines is offering what price and you as a consumer you can you can decide where you want to uh, go for your trading. So, I, uh, so a, a key benefit, really, what it sounds like here is that similar to a lot of these price comparison marketplaces, like within travel, like within insurance purchasing, that many listeners here and those that aren't listening to the podcast that are less familiar with blockchain and cryptocurrency have probably used a lot, is that they're able to find uh, a cheap price or the best price across a wide range of exchanges very quickly and easily. Correct. Wide range of exchanges and also wide wide range of uh of uh coin pairs. So the hmm. other interesting thing that we uh we've we've developed uh is um obviously so every exchange has its own native trading pairs, right? So in Binance yeah. there's maybe 300 and Coinbase has about maybe 40 I think uh trading pairs. So we support all of those native trading pairs, but what we also support is um something we call synthetic pairs which means uh, our users can come on our platform and try to find a price from any coin to any coin. So if you want to hmm. buy, you know, uh, I don't know, do you, I, I don't know what your favorite altcoin is these days, but if you want to buy some Cosmos <laughs> with uh, with Tron, uh, yep. you know, that, that pair doesn't exist in the in kind of the natural exchange ecosystem, but you can put a Cosmos Tron pair in our platform. And we'll give you a full implied price. So when we say implied, we're implying that price based on all the prices in the market. So what will what will then help the customer do is execute a Tron Cosmos trade, and that might mean two trades behind the scenes where we're doing a Cosmos Bitcoin, a Bitcoin Tron, or another hop. Uh, and mm-hmm. we'll take we'll take care of all of that complexity in the background, and the customer still sees that, and still tr- uh, we still aim to give them the best price uh, for this. Yeah, I think that's something that certainly from over the past few years of doing the podcast, people getting into the space and certainly around like 
the, the huge like crypto summer of 2017 when a lot of new people were coming into the space and they were trying to buy altcoins in particular one of the challenges they had is like how do i actually buy this coin i have to go to this exchange sign up for an account i have to go buy some of this altcoin and then i have to take it out into a wallet and then i have to go into this exchange and and kind of buy and I mean, I, I'm thinking about comparative services here. Would would it be fair to say that this kind of function is a similar kind of thing to things like Shapeshift and stuff where you can basically, you're doing behind the scenes a lot of that extra hopping and transactions, right? Exactly. And I think Shapeshift is a great example. And, you know, these are great businesses where, you know, we're new, we're newer in this space. We started last year. Uh, so all the all the companies and businesses that have come before us, you know, obviously they've, they've They've laid the groundwork, right? They've they've uh, ha- ha- paid the uh, paid the price of uh, trying to educate everybody, and so we're obviously mm-hmm. uh, you know we look up to that. But um, I think that is that is a really great comparison. So I think uh, the difference is we we will do a shapeshift like service where you can go from any coin to any coin, but with full transparency. So right. you know the you, you can see exactly what you're paying. You can go to the exchange website and compare the prices. Uh, you know, one thing we really pride ourselves in is is complete transparency of pricing. So we're not adding a spread. We're not adding any kind of uh, you know um, fees. So I think that that's kind of the main difference uh, that we bring to the table. Interesting. Okay. Well, Bitsian sounds like a really interesting platform solving a few unique problems here that actually are some of the most common problems, I think, for people just getting started with acquiring cryptocurrency. What, what I'm interested in is like, where where was the idea born for for Bitsian? From from yourself, you've, you've spent probably fair to say the majority of your career in what a lot would say the more traditional financial services sector, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, I'm sure you've got a, a breadth of experience there. So what what triggered you to go in and become CEO of uh, Bitsian and, and and start up this in the blockchain space? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was always following uh, Bitcoin specifically and, uh, you know, blockchain. Blockchain's been around, I think, even in traditional financial services, pretty much everyone is is in some way, shape, or form running some R and D or doing some kind of uh, you know like a a program to figure out what to do with blockchain, right? So that started many years ago. Uh, so I think that uh, kind of understanding the blockchain and 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 being aware of Bitcoin that was my I would say foray into into all of this. The the real catalyst was uh, moving to actually working on a on a crypto exchange. So when I left Morgan Stanley, uh, I I uh, partnered up with my co-founder and my CTO uh, Steve Bricado, who I also worked with at Goldman. He was uh, mm. the CTO of a of a crypto exchange here in the U.S. and uh, futures a crypto futures exchange. So we reconnected mm. there, and I think through that exercise, I think everyone has a going down the rabbit hole moment with crypto <laughs> so that was that yep. was that was it for me i think we we spent uh, a great deal of time understanding the market uh studying the ecosystem trying to figure out how to make our exchange better and i think in that exercise somewhere the thought that i had was that the exchanges are not the problem it, the problem is there's just too many of them and it's too complicated for a common consumer. Even actually, I would I would even venture to say even for institutions, right? So, unless you're very technical and uh, and and it's and and you enjoy the gamification of it, where you're you know you, you like having five accounts and and uh, being the 
you know, you enjoy that game. I think, and there's a lot of people that do, uh, but if you're on the, you know, simpler retail side of things or you're on the institutional side of things and you can't risk all of this complexity, there's mm-hmm. not many solutions for you. You either are one, you know, you go to one exchange and you just take whatever you get um, or you, you know, you have to be price sensitive and then you have to live with the complexity. So I think the idea was really born, you know, once we, uh, once Steve and I decided we wanted to do something, we were refining our idea, what we wanted to do. And this is really, uh, the thing that, that spoke to us as, as, a, as a problem that, you know, we are, um, uh, you know, in some ways qualified to sw- solve based on our uh, previous experiences of, of building these kinds of systems for, uh, for traditional finance. Yeah, for sure. We were we were speaking on the podcast. I think this was uh, late last year, actually, and we were talking a little bit about exchanges in particular, and in particular uh, Coinbase, and trying to discern why Coinbase, outside of the enormous funding behind it, had been so successful in, especially maybe the past three years. And I think one of the big things that we that we really touched on was around just simplicity and user experience. Uh, initially capping the number of cryptocurrencies people could buy, making it look like an interface that people are familiar with. You go into the Coinbase app, right? And it would be like similar to the kind of intuitive experience of things like Facebook. So everyday users don't look at it and think they're in like the middle of Wall Street. And I think that that in, in itself really touches on a massive problem that it seems like you've really seen with, with Bitsian in the sense that people for adoption to happen, there needs to be as little friction as possible in the whole experience. Exactly. It needs to be a no-brainer. Using something needs to be a no-brainer. You know, if you if you can uh, give your customer what they want to do in the simplest possible way, that's that's always the goal of, of, of any product, I think, uh, or should be the goal of any product. <laughs> Definitely. So I was touching here a little bit on some of your background, and you, you mentioned, obviously, uh, some of your time prior to uh, joining an exchange and prior to Bitsian in, uh, of course, the, uh, the the financial services sector. And one of the things that we've started to see more and more is some of the more traditional financial services companies are the bedrock of the, the financial services sector uh, on an institutional level, getting more and more involved in in blockchain and more openly in particular into cryptocurrency. We've seen like JP Morgan have announced their own like JPM coin, which mm-hmm. albeit is on a private blockchain uh, pegged by the dollar. I saw Morgan Stanley have apparently got like a secret project going on. I think it's probably a matter of time before we see more and more happening here. But how how do you see kind of the more traditional financial services businesses playing in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space in particular in the next four or five years or so? So yeah, I think the uh, the the payment uh, settlements remittance process is is definitely broken, and I think this has seen a lot of innovation in blockchain, both outside of traditional banking, but now traditional banking is waking up and saying, you know, if we don't do something, we're going to be left out, right? So when I see JPM coin and I see uh, some of these stable currencies uh, that the banks are are trying to put out, I think that's in direct uh, kind of reaction to this this uh this this idea that uh this uh, stronghold that they've had on international money transfer and value transfer is starting to seep away from them 
uh, and that they have to be in the game and do something. So uh, stable currencies from banks and using that for settlements uh, and and uh, and payments cross uh, you know cross institutions. I think that's definitely a really great use case. Probably seeing more of that coming. Then you know smart contracts uh, alleviate a lot of issues operationally for uh, trading and settlement of more complex instruments like derivatives, swaps, uh, things like that. So I, I, you know, that is a probably going to be a slower uh, evolution only because there are um, there are very strong like uh, legal and regulatory frameworks that surround you know that type of activity. So uh, I think something like that will probably be some a, a more of a group or a consortium effort. Like so, if you know, if a couple of larger institutions decide to work together with you know like the SEC or the DTC and uh, organizations that are part of the the the, uh, the financial framework right of uh, of trading and settlement of these contracts, I think we'll see something there. Everyone everyone has a project. Everyone's doing something in this space with smart contracts, whether it's uh, um, you know, on the swap side or on the uh, on the equity side, uh, I know DTC also has uh, something that they're that they're doing. This is the the big uh, clearinghouse for for all of the uh, uh, equity transactions. So um, I see these kind of to be the main use cases. But you know, other than that, from a pure innovation perspective, I mean, this is still happening outside of um, outside of traditional finance. Uh, and then I guess the third is just access to cryptocurrency as an asset, right? I mean, Fidelity just started. Uh, I believe they're only doing Bitcoin, but, you know, this is a start. I think uh, Bitcoin is the gold standard for many reasons. And uh, it's, uh, we'll see kind of how that goes. Yeah, and a lot of these big players in the space, even some of those companies that have been openly critical of whether it's Bitcoin or the the wider cryptocurrency space, at the same time, have been investing huge amounts into R&D or have been involved in projects like R3 Consortium, things like that. So I, I think it was always a matter of time before they started to really capitalize on things. And I think one of the things that we're definitely starting to see more and more now is around the announcements that we've had from Facebook launching through the, the, the Libra Association, their Libra cryptocurrency next year. This is all going to probably start speeding up more and more and more. And and on the note of Facebook, we, we've been talking about this in the past couple of weeks. Every guest that we've been having on recently, we've just been asking for their, their general take on Libra. And in particular, whether you kind of think this is a, a force for good within the, the cryptocurrency space or a force for evil. And I think there are probably a lot of arguments for each, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what your initial thoughts are. So I, my personal thing is more, um, I, I think it's a good thing for the ecosystem, right? When, mm-hmm. when someone like Facebook and the Libra consortium, like the Ubers and the visas, when they, when they kind of, you know, do something like this, it adds legitimacy to the entire space. So from a macro level, I think it's it's good. It gets it gets people thinking. There'll be people that thought the whole thing was you know a hoax, and they'll see the Facebooks in it, and someone's going to read about it. And I, and I think that's great. That's how we spread the message of yeah. this 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 new asset class and this new revolution. So in that sense, I think it's good. Now whether this particular group of people and group of institutions is. Uh, is going to be a force for good or evil? That is a really good question. I'll just tell you whatever the white paper. I think that the white paper is big on uh, vision, which yeah. is interesting. 
uh, but l- not that big on details of how they get there. So that's right. my, that's my, you know, I, I try to keep an open mind. I think, you know, like, look at me, man. I, I worked at Goldman Sachs and now I'm like <laughs> heading up a crypto aggregator. I mean, like when I, when I go to the dinner parties, you see the looks I get. So, um, so <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not one to judge, but uh, I'm, I'm more about details. You know, you, you look, yeah. you look at something and okay, the, the vision I get, that's great. Let's help the unbanked. Awesome. How, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. And those are not the details I found. Uh, I didn't like that it was not uh, it was not a public blo- blockchain. Um, yeah, you know it's still private. Uh, there's parts of the technical architecture that were I just didn't un- I didn't I didn't get it didn't seem it didn't seem like that is the path to become like a decentralized platform. And in my view, if it's not decentralized over time, not you know if it's if that's not the initial vision then it's something is going to fail, right? This is the big, this is the big Bitcoin experiment. It's decentralization. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's interesting because, um, I mean, David Marcus, uh, the, the former head of Facebook's cryptocurrency project and uh, blockchain division now running a lot of the, the Libra operations, he, he came out in response to a lot of the concerns around the fact that it doesn't really seem very decentralized, even though that word is mentioned quite a lot within Mm -hmm. the white papers. And I think his response was along the lines of the fact that they're going to have 100 plus, eventually, I think they've got 29 members right now of the Libra Association that are ultimately going to be the the ones that are making the decisions, the validators at least to begin with, uh, that is somewhat decentralized. And the the line seems to be, uh, trust us, we want to move away from, for example, permission blockchains. We want to make this more decentralized. But, I, then do I, it, I, but you know, the, the real <laughs> question I have is everything they've proposed they want to do, they don't even need a blockchain for that. Yeah. Right. Well, I think there's even arguments to say, is this even a blockchain? It's, what at least right, what's exactly. in there? Yeah, you don't need a blockchain for that. You don't need a cryptocurrency for that. In fact, Facebook owns uh, what we uh, what's that called again? WhatsApp, right? They only yep. do WhatsApp payments in India. You can send money on your WhatsApp. They just work with the local bank. So everything that they've mm-hmm. proposed, you don't even need. Like the way that it's proposed, if it's not going to be decentralized, you don't even need a blockchain or cryptocurrency. You could, you have the users, you have the platforms, you could do this in the current ecosystem uh, and do that, you know. But so it's it's a uh, it's a great way to uh, kind of cap into this this phenomenon of the, of of the crypto and blockchain, you know, that's going on. And in a way, again, like I said, it's I think it's all good because it, at a macro level, it brings this this uh, this spotlight now to this cryptocurrency environment. Mm-hmm. So that's great. But I, I have serious questions about what is your real intention? And if the real intention is to be a more profitable business, that's great. I mean, all businesses are out there to be more profitable. But um, yeah. there, there are holes in the vision, the execution and the details, I'll, I'll say, of, of what, what I read. And I think that's kind of um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, you know, let's see how let's see how this unfolds. It's, it's exciting times for sure. Yeah, I think it is very exciting. And I think in in fairness, it is probably the easiest thing to be skeptical of a group can, uh, made up of Facebook, Uber, MasterCard, Visa. <laughs> uh, I think it's probably by default, you're probably not going to necessarily trust their comments at face value. And certainly at the end of the day, 
this is a commercial venture by, by com- these groups. Exactly. It's a commercial venture and they're going to do what's commercially viable to them. And I think that mm-hmm. it's a little naive to look at the mission statement here and say that that means anything more than a, you know, uh, a, a kind of like a, a, a sound bite or something. It feels sound bitey, I should say. That's probably... Uh, but for you know, sure. I mean, Facebook makes all its money from from advertising. H- how is it going to mm-hmm. reconcile that with the decentralized model, right? I mean, if they really wanted to do this, they should have said, "All right, well, we're not going to make any more money from advertising. We're going to pay like Libra tokens to people to post content, like go down the you know go down the, the route like the of, Steam exactly, yeah. go down the Steam route or something." And that would have been that would have been something that I would have like. You know, I think I'd be like, oh, wow. Okay. Now they really mean this. They, they get it. And that this is what this is all about. So, uh, but it's yeah. still, it's still fascinating. Obviously the governments are all up in, up in arms about all of this. So. Yeah. I think that's honestly one of the things I'm most interested to see how that plays out because they've, they've said that they, uh, the Libra Association will, will not be kind of dictating like monetary policy yet you have a consortium made of some of the most powerful uh organizations in the world that also do a hell of a lot of lobbying as well yes, so yes uh, right and and I, this uh this uh, uh you know what they, they called it the reserve uh, the terminology was fascinating they yep. call it the reserve you know it's like reinventing mm-hmm. essentially what the government does <laughs> And exactly. Like, now, so now these people at the reserve become the strongest, most powerful people. You know, it's like it's like waiting for the Fed to announce rates and what are they going to pick and what are the assets going to be in this. It's uh, it's it's quite uh, interesting. It's definitely a lot of power put into not enough people. Right? It's not decentralized yeah. enough for sure. Yeah, and I, I think that we. We'll see when the details, I think that's the biggest hole right now that we have is the details around the reserve. There's ultimately is going to be the biggest profit exercise for those consortium members Mm -hmm. earning interest on those like Libra investment tokens, I think they call it, uh, as part of the reserve. Still very vague right now. But yeah, I do. I definitely agree with your general sentiment here in the sense that this is a good thing for the progression of the blockchain space and the cryptocurrency movement. Is it a good thing for the world? Like we will we will find out. Yeah. So yeah. So on 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 that note, in terms of uh the the general like good thing for the crypto space. The, the last question that I have for you, Reki, is someone that's deeply involved with a lot of customers that are, are buying cryptocurrency, maybe for the first time in particular, and the challenges that they have. What what do you think is the biggest barrier that we have from like achieving mass adoption for for cryptocurrency uh, across the world? I think it's a it's adoption of the solutions, right? Bitcoin has got the adoption, but you know, one would argue it's become more of a store of value um, mm. rather than a, a currency like that you would use day to day. You know, I, I think that you know some of these projects need to succeed and need to succeed like in 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 great aggressiveness because uh, only with use will we will we get to that level where truly all of us are walking around with our banks in our phone. And we can just, you know, um, without any, 
kind of uh, intervention deal with each other uh, using using some kind of crypto assets as, as currency and exchange. So, you know, we're, we're always we're always looking at interesting new projects uh, and supporting them. Um, you know, we think that uh, the instead of ICOs and all of this other nonsense, I think I'm, I'm much more interested in, in wider, wider adoption of the services. And frankly, you know, I think that um, the UX, uh, as, as uh, kind of odd as it is, UX is going to be the thing that makes the difference. Because right? normal people yep. don't care if the thing I'm using is built on the blockchain or is it built on like a web yeah. service or they don't really care. As long as they get the utility out of it, people are going to use it. And I think that's what we all, all of us need to focus on in, in everything we build in this space is giving usability and being less kind of enamored with ourselves in our technical terms. Right. So, um uh, you said, I couldn't so agree more. Yeah, and I, so we're very focused on on the product and customer side of things. Yes, crypto comes with its own nuances, and some of that you have to expose. But again, we're in the trading game, right? So that's different. But I think like with with projects and more and more, I think the more and more we almost abstract away the fact that behind the scenes is this new emerging framework, and just let people use it. I think we'll we'll see that adoption. At least that's my my belief and my hope, because uh, that would be what a great world that would be. Yeah, that would be great. And I think for a, to to touch on your point, right? It's like for a long time, it's it's felt like cryptocurrency from like the a platform level, it's been built by developers for developers and yes. enthusiasts within blockchain. But like the and I think a lot of the positives that are often cited for owning and possessing cryptocurrency, like added security, like uh, having complete like custodianship of all of your money. A lot of that stuff scares the hell out of people. People put stuff in banks because they don't want to be responsible for yeah. their own cash. Yeah. And and I think that when that starts to get addressed more and more and people feel more like they're using a service like Venmo or any other payment system that's non-crypto related payment space, and that is crypto, I, I think that we're going to get much closer to it being viable for the masses. Absolutely. If we can do that and we can fulfill the promise of making it faster, cheaper, and more liquid and, you know, less um, with less intervention from, from you know, middle people uh, and the governments, et cetera. I mean, you know, I think that that's, that's going to, that's really going to revolutionize uh, this, this, you know, every, all the businesses, right? Just, just as we saw the big internet and the dot com. You know, I think this is when all businesses are going to look and 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 look to move to this decentralized framework, which would be, uh, again, quite interesting. Yeah. Well, Raki, thanks so much for taking the time out. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We'll make sure that we share out uh, links over to Bitsian and uh, where to find yourself to to learn more about you uh, in the show notes of the podcast. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Have a great time. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.